Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP4. This week on TWIP, layoffs and lawsuits at Yahoo, Instagram debuts for Android, a roundtable discussion on monitors for photographers, and an interview with the minimalist photographer C.J. Childers. It's Wednesday, April 4th, 2012, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. We're experimenting with recording this episode using Google Plus Hangouts, so the audience gets to see, you know, kind of how the sausage is made and uh, quarter, sort of a behind-the-scenes of This Week in Photo. We're going to do this this a little bit differently. If this episode works out, um, we'll be doing more, of course, but the idea isn't to create a video show um, out of TWIP. The idea is to give the listeners a option to view behind the scenes of how this week in photo is made so unlike twit photo which is a great podcast is designed for video if you want that kind of thing you go to twit photo you can see them in their beautiful studios and the beautiful Catherine hall and leo laporte do all their stuff but if you just want the twit we don't bring the beautiful <laughs> if we do if you just wanted this week in photo experience which is audio Subscribe to the podcast, which is you know presumably all um, for the foreseeable future going to be audio only. Uh, but if you want to see us do it while we're recording, because we record at the same time every week, the same bat channel, the same bat time, um, then you can just hang out with us and watch behind the scenes. So that's what this all is all about. And, and for those of you who aren't watching, Frederick's got funny hats that he wears in each episode. <laughs> I'm not wearing any hats, you know, but I may, I can neither confirm nor deny whether I'm wearing boxers right now or not. <laughs> All right. Um, and Ryan, you sound a little overmodulated, so you might want to turn your that crank to the left a little bit. Yeah, I'll try that. All right. Uh, today, this is an exciting show, besides the fact that we're doing a hangout, but today we're going to be talking about more layoffs and more lawsuits for our friends over at Yahoo and, you know, in quotes, Flickr as well. Um, Instagram has become available for Android and it's, it's stirred up some interesting reactions from, uh, from the iPhone using crowd. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to dive into monitors for photographers, which is one of the reasons why I'm really glad to have Mr. Martin Bailey on the show to help us <laughs> wade through that. He's the guy that literally wrote the book on that. <laughs> so <laughs> he can talk about that. And uh, presumably after the show, since we only have a, an hour for the show, You'll rush out and get his book if you want to get more into that. And we'll, we'll give you links to all that stuff in the show notes. And then to top it all off, we've got a really interesting interview with C.J. Chilvers on minimalist photography. So he's I had a conversation with him about how you can or just the idea behind less is more. How you just go out with the, as little gear as you could possibly go out with and come back with really stunning images by not making the gear the central thing to what you're doing. So. Really cool stuff in this episode. To tackle these these topics um, are on the show, as you heard him talking in the background, Mr. Martin Bailey and Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. Hey. Uh, okay. So 
before we move on, Martin, you haven't been on in a while. Ron, you've been on uh, recently. Martin, last time we spoke, you were about to go take photos of some spider monkeys or something somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere in northern, in Hokkaido or someplace you were heading off to. What's, What's going on in the world of Martin Bailey? Yeah, we uh, we went to Hokkaido. Well, first of all, we went to Nagano to shoot the snow monkeys. Not it, it starts with an S. Okay, um, gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, we got the snow monkeys. That uh, they they're the guys that you see in the hot spring pool. They uh, they warm themselves up in there during the day. Uh, but we we went there for three days and then went up to Hokkaido for nine days with a a big group of photographers from all around the world. We had a lot of fun. Um, and and guess what? The the, the fun thing here is is that. Um, David Duchemin's coming next year. What? So, oh, that's yeah, cool. So, yeah, we, we've we've got David coming as a special guest. Uh, I'm doing two tours next year, one with Chris Marquardt, so we can add a German element, and the second tour is going to have David as a special guest. So that's really and the seats cool. are set, the seats are selling very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Nice nice way to slip that plug in there, Martin. Where where can people, where where is the site at? Is just your your website? Yeah, well, yeah, everything's linked to the top page, but my my workshops and tours are all at mbpworkshops.com. mbpworkshops.com. Yeah, yeah, Chris Chris, I know Chris very well, um or at least, you know, we we've had lunch a couple times or at least once I think in Petaluma. Um mm. and he uh I told him he's one of the inspirations for me for for actually podcasting. He's been doing it since I think the Jurassic period, somewhere around in there. He was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was podcasting. Chris, same here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and also, Mr. Ron Brakeman. Hey, Ron, what have you been up de- to down in uh, SoCal? You know, I was attacked by a snow monkey once. <laughs> you were attacked by a <laughs> snow monkey. <laughs> I, I do. I, I have. I've actually got pretty good footage of, uh, or not footage, but I, you know, I handed my camera to somebody and said, "Here, take a picture of me standing next to these dudes." And mm. um, I made the, the the fatal mistake of looking one in the eye. Mm. And he said, "You looking at me? You looking at me, human? So there's you want some of this? Great, like three or four, you know, sequence. Fortunately, I put the camera on uh, on you know fast uh, fast shooting mode when I handed it to my friend to shoot it. So it's like there's three or four sequences of this monkey getting this look on his face and then reaching out and grabbing my jacket and trying to throttle (laughs) me or something. So." Yeah, the the problem with those guys is is that it, looking them directly in the eyes is is one thing, but if you if you get if you, I mean if you touch them, they'll they'll you know one, one guy this year, um, I said to everybody on the bus on the way in there, do not touch the snow monkeys, <laughs> don't don't get any food out. If you get food out, they'll they'll come for you straight away. Um, there's a lot of them. Yeah, and and this one guy walked in and touched the alpha male straight away. I was like, uh, you dude. idiot. Uh. <laughs> This the the guy jumped out of the pool. He, well, he was out of the pool. He he was staring him down and everything. He it was not a good moment. So I yeah. I, I mean I, it, uh, it's it is sort of a a little photographic uh, journey that I think anybody that goes to Japan should make because they're obviously yeah. very photogenic. Yeah. And uh, but I mean Gen- there's literally hundreds of them I think or you know around a hundred right. of them all over the right. place and so you don't really want them all to jump on you at once. Hence the, yeah. Uh, Generally, I mean they're very plastic and they 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 do a. We, we've never had a problem um, in that anyone gets hurt, but they, you know, you just got to obey a few rules. And, and this one guy this year decided not to. So. Wow. I mean, but they're wild animals, right? So, I mean, right. it's, it's right. not like they are, they've been raised in captivity to be, to be pleasant to travelers. They're, they are wild animals. So you're going to. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, that's crazy. Just because they like to hang out in hot tubs doesn't mean they're civilized. Just because they're cute <laughs> and they like to bathe in hot tubs doesn't mean that you can pet them, right? Exactly. <laughs> 
Um, but to answer your question, I actually just got back from Hong Kong. Uh, oh, so cool. I'll have to put some pictures up for that. I just gave a little talk at some Hong Kong, te- Hong Kong Television Association about sort of the future of how all this really low-budget camera equipment and software is going to affect the filmmaker and really open up the world to a lot of people. So I don't know if that's going to get posted or not, but if it does, I'll let people know. That is really cool. I had no idea you were out there doing that. You're just, yeah, you're just James fun. Bond. You're like, <laughs> right. you're like, geez, that's awesome. All right, uh, guys, before we dive in, um, I want to keep this show pretty tight and compressed since we're, we're doing the Hangout and we've got only got an hour. So I'm going to uh, be pretty diligent about moving on to the next thing. Uh, but before we move on, um, a nod to our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. And if you'd like a free trial and 10% off your new account, you just head over to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. Four, that's squarespace.com. Use the offer code TWIP4. And we've been saying on the show over and over again that uh, Squarespace is, is pretty much the ideal platform for anyone that's just looking at starting to build a awesome website or blog or even advanced people that are they're just tired of dealing with all the bells and whistles and security concerns of other platforms. They've got a u- easy-to-use UI for creating and managing your website or your blog. They're optimized for, for people that are just that are new to this world or people that have cut their chops already and know how to do cool things with CSS and all that stuff. And if you don't want to learn design, they've already got a hundred or hundreds and hundreds of design templates that you can choose from. You pick one and you tweak it and design it to fit your specific needs. So, and then to as far as updating goes, they've deployed both iPhone and iPad apps that you can download so that you can check stuff on your blog. You can update it. You can approve and disapprove comments, all that stuff from the, you know, while you're standing in line at Starbucks. So it's really cool. And the cool thing for me is they've got these, this 24, seven, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, online resources and a special support team. So that if you're that person that works a day job all day long, you're slaving away in your cubicle, then you go home and you work on your website. And it's probably around nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. You're not, you know, out of luck because, oh, well, most support offices are from nine to five, just like your job. With this service, you call them up at no matter what time or contact them online and boom, you can get support to get you through your, your issue. So again, if you'd like to check them out, please head over to squarespace.com and just use the offer code TWIP4. Okay, guys. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is Yahoo. So Yahoo, as you guys see in your show notes, Yahoo, we talked about Yahoo a lot in the past, um, specifically as it relates to Flickr. But lately they've been in the news for, and they've come under fire for sort of patent troll type behavior with regards to Facebook. So Yahoo sued Facebook for infringing on a number of their patents for like astronomical numbers that we can only begin to comprehend. So the other side of the, or the other shoe dropped today or yesterday and Facebook has countersued Yahoo and specifically it's Flickr group saying that, uh, you know, part of what they're using on the Flickr site is based on Facebook technology. So it's sort of a, Oh, you're going to sue me, buddy. I'm going <laughs> to sue you. So Martin, I want to throw it to you first. So, um, on the Flickr side, looking at it specifically from Flickr's standpoint, you know, Flickr, Flickr is still a hugely important and successful site when it comes to photography. And it's got this crazy momentum that, 
even if Yahoo says we're going to shut it down, it's going to be hard to shut a site like that down. Where do you think? Where do you think Flickr stands in the ecosystem as far as sites for photographers right now? And is this countersuit that Flickr that Facebook has levied against Yahoo is this basically going to sort of nullify the one that Yahoo levied against Fli- or, uh, Facebook? Yeah, I, I think Flickr is. Um, I, I've got a love hate relationship with Flickr in that I, I think it, I mean, it's a huge uh, community, and I think that that's its strong point. It, it's got such a large number of people that use Flickr that you you generally, um, you know, you you will you'll find people jump on you know something you say upload an, a, an image that clicks with the community, and you'll get hundreds of comments. Um, not not often constructive criticism. It's more more pats on the back. But mm-hmm. I think the as as far as the community is concerned, it's it's a great uh, place for photographers to hang out. And I don't think you'll be able to change that very quickly. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the yeah the community is great. Uh, I personally, although I throw most of my images up there, I don't get involved as much as I would like to, but that's generally just a time thing. And and I think the people that do make use of Flickr really enjoy their time there. Yeah. Um yeah. but so yeah, I mean it's it's a very important part of the of the, the web and the photography community. So I don't think it's going to be going away very quickly. Um but the second part of your question about the um whether or not people um yeah uh, the, the counter suit will yeah, what, what was the, what was the question? Yeah, whether, will, whether, will, whether will Yahoo's or will Flickr's countersuit against or uh, Facebook? Sorry, countersuit against Yahoo and their their division of Flickr will it nullify? Do you think it'll just mm. you know they'll settle out of court and say okay, let's go on with our business? <laughs> well, I I think that the I mean it, the uh, I, I recall from the interview that you did uh, was it last week where about the pa- patents and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there there was. Uh, it seems that the, that Yahoo they bought the patent for some of this just a, a week or so ago from IBM. I saw from the show notes. So yeah, um, Facebook it, actually bought. Oh, was that that was it? Okay. Yeah, I think that's what it is. That Facebook bought some some patents most recently, and so that's part of what the suit is based on. Is there right? You know, but they're suing based on patents we just recently acquired. Which you so, know, I mean, so they bought some bullets for their gun, and now that, pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the game that everybody plays. It's kind of unfortunate, but it's also sort of you know, I, I'm in that kind of gray zone. I mean, I I definitely believe that the patent system is kind of messed up in terms of what kind of patents are granted and how they're dealt with, but it is the game that everybody has to play right now, and so I, this is more, you know, just sort of company business posturing, but, I, mm. you know, my, my hope is that it doesn't, what I'd hate to see is something like, you know, there's some key patent that Facebook got a hold of that would make it less expensive for Yahoo to shut down Flickr than to litigate against it. Yeah. You know, that, that would be my biggest concern, is if they, they see that the way to cut their loss would be... In, Instead of trying to fight against a certain patent, they just say, "Well, all we have to do is shut down Flickr." That would really be a shame, and that would would kind of suck. But you know, in, in other sort of Flickr-based news, I think it was just today that they also announced that they would had transitioned over to using the Aviary tools for editing. Which I don't know if you guys have ever played with that. It's a I have played with Aviary, but I hadn't seen that. I hadn't seen yeah, that. Yeah, they they just announced today. I think it was that um, they they. Uh, is now going to be using Aviary to do their HTML5 
photo editing online. So you weren't, go they on using, there and, weren't they using Picnic at some point? And that's the problem because Picnic is owned by uh, Google. Oh, ah, okay. And so got Picnic, it. Now it makes uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and Picnic is just uh, is going to be closing down as well. So Google's kind of end of lifeing that. So Ugh. yeah, they, I mean Yahoo kind of didn't have a choice, I suppose, at some level. But the aviary stuff is, is actually pretty nice. Yeah, so. see, that's that's what's scary about these services. These awesome services, like Picnic, is amazing. These awesome services show up, and yeah. you start falling in love with them and integrating them into your daily life, and then. Some business guy starts moving chess pieces around, and boom, <laughs> you know, you're, yeah. you're out yeah. of luck. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think that goes to photographers' a general mindset that I'm always sort of espousing for photographers, whether it's dealing with, you know, storage of your photos in, in an online world or, or local, and it goes to whether you're using Lightroom or Aperture or any of those tools. Ultimately, you should really be in charge of your own photos. Yeah. And don't count on any one application to organize them. And that's really why, even though you know I, I use Aperture, but the same thing would hold true for Lightroom, even though they have organizational tools, always sort of have in the back of your head the sense of, all right, if this program stopped working tomorrow, how screwed am I? You know, and yeah. and you know, and so I organize still. I still organize everything by file folder, folders on the file system, so I know I can get stuff. I use intelligent naming schemes. Just in case, because you know, someday one of these things is going to go away, and I think everybody should really still kind of do that. Yeah, hmm. I know. I mean, the I did a talk at the just a couple of days ago at the Palm Springs Photo Festival. It was on social media for photographers, and one of the one of the I'm I'm hoping I'm coining this phrase, but I doubt that I am. But I, I threw down the phrase digital sharecropping. You know, <laughs> with with regard to putting all your assets on online services and you know, sort of harvesting on somebody else's land, you know, then if that person decides, hey, you know, I, I've changed my terms of service or right. I'm shutting down condominiums instead. Exactly. Or I'm shutting down or whatever, then you got to go figure something else out. My my suggestion was instead to, um, in the case of social media and business, was to, is we were talking email specifically, was to build your own email list. That way you maintain control of that, that customer mm-hmm. contact. Rather than hoping Twitter and, and you know even Google Plus and Flickr, you know, hoping they don't change their terms of service later, and boom, you got to sort of figure out how to redo your business. So mm. Mm. interesting stuff. I mean, you know, I don't know. And then the other thing on the Yahoo side was um, the Associated Press reported today. I think it was that Yahoo is laying off another two thousand employees. Mm. Um, basically, Which is a lot. It, that's a lot. Of, I mean, yeah. yeah. And we don't know yet where those are going to come from. And obviously, again, we're kind of hoping, all right, that's not going to come from the Flickr group or something. But right. you know, Yahoo is still a company that's in flux and trying to trying to figure where they're going. They're still a profitable been, they've, com- you could, you company. You could have said that same thing, Ron, um, mm-hmm. three years ago. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is they are still a profitable company. They still have a huge amount of traffic. They just yeah. haven't been able to grow anything. And, in fact, they're shrinking a little bit, but they're still there. So... I'm not going to count them out yet. I think there's a tendency mm. to do that, but they, yeah. they obviously need to. I mean, that's the, that's the easy road to take is like, okay, forget about Yahoo or go someplace else. But yeah, you're right. They're still a gigantic juggernaut on the internet yeah. and, you know, both both historically and current. So, Martin, what about you? Do you think, is it time to to cut Yahoo out of our thinking in terms of, you know, from a photographer standpoint, you know, and when I, when I say cut Yahoo out, I'm, saying, I'm talking specifically about Flickr, I guess. Is it time to say, okay, Flickr, I'm... You know, there's too much shuffling going on over there. I'm going to go someplace else while you guys figure it out. And then if you do figure it out, I'll, I may come back. And I don't. I don't use Flickr enough to really say 
either way. But I, I'm from my personal perspective, I, I, I don't use Flickr anywhere more, anywhere near as much as I as I probably could. Um, but I think that the people that do use it, they live and breathe it. So yeah, it's it's not going to go away. There's this, and I think that the majority of if you already use it, then I don't think there's any danger in continuing to use it. But I do agree with Ron in that, you know, that should not be your only backup of your images, for example. Or, you know, anything that you do, it should be based on um, a, a well-designed local backup system, you know, and have all of your digital assets in, in a form that you can use on your own computer. And, and like Ron says, not, not e don't even put it all in one folder and rely on on Lightroom or um, Aperture for to, to get views, various views of that. Mm -hmm. You know, st still make sure that you've got a good local um, archive system. But I, I don't think, yeah, as long as you don't rely on Flickr for everything, then I think it's 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 a good service and people are going to continue to use that. Um, and, it, and it's, I mean, yeah, Yahoo themselves probably are going to be um, continue to shrink a little bit because Google's got such a hold on the. I mean, when you think now of searching, ten years ago, twenty years ago, well, not, maybe not twenty, but yeah. fifteen years ago, everybody just went straight to Yahoo. Yeah. But then Google came around, along and, and made things. I don't know. They're kind of like the the Apple of the internet. You know, they they yeah. they got the Kool Aid stuff. So yeah. they. Um, I, I know that for the majority of things, I go to Google. There are still some things that when I, like if I want to look at um, exchange rates, for example, I'll go straight to Yahoo, just mm. Yahoo, Yahoo Financials. And, and I do that out of just because it's where I know it is. So I'm sure that there are people around that still have these little areas that they, that they want to jump into Yahoo for. And weather. I get all of my weather in Japan from Yahoo. Yeah. So it's not as though they're, they're going away. But then, you know, I think that they're certainly having little bits of, or large chunks of their pie eaten away by Google over time. They're, they're still big in Japan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo. Yahoo, yeah. So, Ron, if you were, were going to play, you know, John Madden of the tech industry and you had to, you had to draw some plays for what Yahoo's next move was going to be, what would you say? What, what should Yahoo be doing, armchair quarterback style? Yeah, I you know it's it's I mean there, there's what they should be doing with Flickr, which is really kind of getting a lot more aggressive with the mobile space and just basically clone Instagram or something like that. And then there's what they should be doing as a larger company, which is you know I don't I don't even know that I'm qualified to think about that. I mean, bottom line is that they have a lot of portals, they've got a lot of content, um, and you know they should just keep focusing on that and really keep trying to drive some some more traffic there. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right, guys, let's move on to the next topic here. Um, and this is about Instagram. So if unless you've been sort of hiding out in somewhere, you probably know about the application Instagram, which uh, it's a mobile app for iPhone that has over 27 million users right now, I want to say. So over 27 million users. And these are these are people. Instagram, if you haven't heard of it, is an app that loads on your iPhone that you can take photos, apply effects to, and then share out to either other social networks or directly on the Instagram service that people can see and comment on and like and all that stuff. So it's kind of like a mini social network specifically for people that like to take photos with their iPhones. So the interesting thing is Instagram today finally re released um, the Android version of Instagram. And in the first day, uh, maybe it wasn't today, maybe it was yesterday, um, but recently, um, they announced the Android version or released the Android version on the first day of availability 
they had over one million copies of the software downloaded. So, which is really cool. So I want to talk about that a little bit and just about Instagram in general and see if you guys use it. But the second part of that is people in the Apple camp, people that are using iPhones, have been on Twitter saying that they don't want those Android people in their sandwich. <laughs> 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 like, like, hey, you know, there's like digital picketing. Like, hey, you know, Android users go home. <laughs> it's, uh, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, Ron, Ron, what, what do you, what do you, where do you fall on that? Should should Instagram be barring Android users because no, they're making iPhone not. users uncomfortable? No, I mean obviously there's always going to be people that somehow think they're in some exclusive little club and don't want other people to be let in. But Instagram, Instagram is a really interesting story, and especially when you juxtapose that with the the, the Flickr story, right? Because that's exactly an example of of a, a new company coming along and completely disrupting it, and you know. In a lot of ways, I mean, Facebook did this too, but at some level, Instagram is this sort of pure photography as a social networking tool, and, and you know, much more of a communication thing than any sort of aesthetic. I mean, they just make you have cool looks, but it's re- really very much about sharing, you know, information with friends. Yeah, and, and as such, it's it's sort of that next generation social network, and I think that's really what they have realized and what they're trying to do is they want to be an alternate social network that's just very uh, image-centric. And they're huge. I mean, it, the, the number of users that were on it prior to the Android uh, port was substantial, like you said, many, many, many millions. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to continue to grow. And they're being smart about it, and they're, they seem to be growing. They've got a good SDK where I think you're going to see more and more apps that are photo-related will also allow you to share on Instagram. So it really is sort of the next social network for photo-related stuff, and I think it does speak to the sense that, you know, this this idea of the photography, the, the, the aesthetics of the photography is really secondary to the content. Yeah. Yeah, and Martin, I would throw it to you uh, from the standpoint of um, business. So if you look at Instagram and all these users and the popularity, and even the fact that we're talking about them right now, I mean, people, people mm. are excited about Instagram. And they're they're a small handful of people. I think it's it's just a couple people over there running company, yeah. running this company. Does this make them like an irresistible morsel for say a company like uh, I don't know maybe Google or or Apple to just swoop in and just take or even Adobe you know to swoop in and just mm. take them over as an easy way into this you know millions and millions of people's iPhones and Android I'm sure. devices. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that there are a lot of I mean. I, I was surprised. I don't know exactly. I don't know the the story behind it, but I was surprised to see the the connection between YouTube and Google. You know, it's like it's like that's all. That seems to have all. I don't know if they've brought them or what what's happened there. But you know, the, there's a lot of um, people, uh, a lot of companies that are going to be looking to Instagram and saying, okay, so how do I get a piece of this? Mm-hmm. I um, I think that there's there's certainly going to be people looking at it. Yeah. But, Getting a little bit of strange. Can you sounds like it sounds like we've got a, a, a mobile phone next to a computer somewhere. I hope it's not mine. <laughs> mine, <laughs> mine is on the other side of the desk over there. So hopefully it's out of there. Um, yeah. So it's uh, uh, Instagram is, is absolutely worth worth watching though because I think yeah they've got a big future ahead of them if they continue to execute on this they are going to become you know, one of the default photo sharing things and I think it will behoove everybody to think about 
you know what what does that mean when it when the communication is less relying on the aesthetics and and more on just the sharing part of it so mm. yeah it's exciting i i love instagram i think it's i think it's a great service and uh hopefully i'm hoping honestly from from my standpoint i'm hoping they don't get acquired i mean i i want them to get acquired so that you know the people that, that put all the hard work into it get rewarded properly mm. but uh from my own selfish right. standpoint i want them to stay independent yeah i think the mobile tools they really want to they are you know the the thing with Instagram is it's a free service and they have no sort of monetization method yet, so they got to figure mm-hmm. that out. Right. And they may decide, all right, if the only way to make money is to just sell ourselves, and we could. And it it is pretty small. I think it's, I believe late last year it was around ten people. So it's not. It, it's still yes, a very small company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll keep an eye on them. All right, guys. Uh, this this uh, next thing I want to talk about is Martin. Like I was saying in the intro, there. This is right up your alley. So we got this question in from one of our listeners. His name is Michael Schultz. Hey, Michael. Mm-hmm. He says, "Could you guys please talk about PC monitors for photography or for photographers specifically? I'd like to get your perspective on how a photo head would go about shopping for a photographer-friendly monitor with the kind of image quality, resolution, and most of all." tunability to be able to calibrate for color and brightness for somewhat predictable print output Mm. specific Mm. make model suggestions would be great especially as uh as regarding uh affordable options so something that's not going to break the bank so martin let me throw it to you first but you well first of all you wrote a book on this stuff right and this is a chapter in one of your books or something right yeah there's there's a lot of information in my making the print book from craft and vision that talks about uh calibration and 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 obviously printing you know the calibration of the printers and and we go into a lot of detail about that so i mean i, I don't want, it's like like the third time i've spoken and i'm plugging something else so i, I don't want to <laughs> i don't want to uh, i don't want to just be on here for, for a, a personal commercial but yeah. um th- there's a lot of information in there um and that's an ebook right so i mean it's something it's you an can ebook right it's now. like 5 5 dollars from craft and vision so i, I plugged it anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but but the uh, yeah the the thing with this is is that um, there's kind of a contradiction in there because he's he's saying uh, Michael's asking for you know the sort of a, a tunable uh, the best sort of not best, but a monitor re- recommendations for a good monitor but then he wants it to be affordable um, and I mean I <laughs> use I use Azor monitors I my, I I have obviously I, on my MacBook Pro I've got the built-in monitor. Mm-hmm. And I also lust after the 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 Mac Cinema, you know, the 27 inch or whatever, it is, the, the, those big Mac screens. I'd, I'd love one of those. But for my photography work, anything uh, what, when I'm printing, I have everything hooked up to an Azor monitor, and that's because they have incredible um, the the color gamut on them is almost Adobe RGB. And they, you know, and this is this monitor's like five years old. I have a 24-inch monitor next to me right now. Um, but the newer vo- newer versions are getting better. They have, the Azor range do have some that have hardware calibration inside of them. But they will cost you like, two for a 24-inch, you, you, you're talking over $2,000. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if you go down to the... In fact, I've got. Let me show. You, I'll just give you some some names. The um, so the the ones with the hardware um, calibration in them is are called Color Edge, mm-hmm. and I don't. I don't. I didn't go that far. I mean, even though I I I jump on some technology pretty quickly, I 
with the monitor, I didn't think I needed that because I, I calibrate my monitors with the X-Rite calibration tools. Mm -hmm. um, so I use the FlexScan, which is the it's professional LCD monitors, but they're the next one down. They don't have the internal hardware calibration. Still, the, the FlexScan range is still going to cost you three times as much as an NEC monitor or, you know, what Dell do good monitors. So, I mean, I'm moving on to the next part really now that the, for affordability, there are some excellent monitors on the, on the, the market right now. Um, well, Mark, let, let me ask you this. Let me let me jump in and yeah. ask you this. So, from a from a, a cost standpoint, so budget minded photographer may be thinking, "Hey, I got a perfectly good display right here that looks fine. How come I can't just invest in one of those hardware calibration right. tools and calibrate my cheap old monitor that I've had forever to show me the right color? Why do I need to go well, buy another display in order to get co correct color rendition?" The, the problem with that is that if you've got one that's rel it, it's old or you buy a really cheap one, then the, the quality of the LCD itself will directly dictate what, what the number of colors, the amount of colors that you can display. Mm -hmm. And even on my one-year-old MacBook Pro with its beautiful, um, the matte screen, I still, there are, there are areas, highlights and shadows don't show anywhere near as well uh, you know the the gradations in the highlights and shadows don't show anywhere near as well as they do on my four or five year old Azo. It's probably more than that, but my Azo monitor shows much more detail and the fine gradations. So, and and they're both calibrated with exactly the same tool. Mm -hmm. So calibration won't magically make your monitor display colors that it's not physically capable of displaying. Okay. It'll just get it as close as it, as you can. Okay. Um, but a couple of other things that I wanted to, to mention here. I mean, like, like I was saying, the NEC, Dell, uh, Ace, Asus even, they do, they, they do some good, relatively low-priced low monitors as well. So if Michael wants to check those out, um, B&H, just go to B&H and, and search for computer monitor, and you'll get a list of everything, and they can, they can list them in price. And, so, I mean, it's really, you'll get what you pay for. If you if you want to if you want the best, my my suggestion would be to go for an Azo Color Edge. If you want second to best, an Azo FlexScan. But Azo is the first, the top one there for me. Um, HP do some good monitors as well. Um, what about the Apple displays? Expensive. What if I want to stay in the Apple world and get a cinema well, just get yeah. cinema displays on my desktop? So, like I say, I mean, I would love one of those cinema displays. They look brilliant. They they're really nice. But I think for uh, as, as far as I'm aware, and maybe one of you guys knows, I don't believe that there's, a, there's actually a matte screen. You know, they're, they're all, it's always the glossy screen with the cinema display, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and for photography, that for me is a killer because I don't want to see my images um, all shiny and glossy. I want to see them on a, a, non, a low reflective, um, you know, uh, well, well, not anti-reflective, but a low reflective screen because... Right. It, the moment that you're looking at your images on a on a piece of glass like that, you're you're basically you're you're going to see on a bright day if you if you've got light falling on your face or the, or the wall behind you, you're going to see all of that. Um, I that's the only thing that puts me off the the Apple monitors. Um, but the main thing, I mean, Michael wants to be able to print um see print what he sees on his monitor. The biggest thing with this, and this is one of the thing, the first things that we touch on in the book, in the in my book, is that most people use their displays at the brightness that they come out of the factory, and they never touch it, and that's the biggest problem with printing. 
I have my Azo monitor on a scale of 1 to 100. I have it set at 23. Mm. And so it's like the brightness of the monitor. I can see it perfectly. But that's what I, what I do is I use the, the ambient light monitors or, or sensors on the calibration tools that I use to tell me how bright I need to set my monitor for my working environment. What comes out of my printer? And, you know, there are, there are things that I need to do. You, you have to soft-proof. There's lots of things you need to go into. But in general, what comes out of my printer looks pretty much like what I've got on my screen. And a lot of people get dark prints because they have the monitors way too bright. Right. Um, so that's the... That's one of the, the biggest things. Just turn your mo- the brightness on your monitor down. I mean, you could get into like insane minutia detail about <laughs> about color accuracy, right? Because I was at, at that the the uh, Palm Springs Photo Festival. I was sitting in on a talk, and the gentleman giving the talk was talking about how he color corrects in a eighteen percent gray room with blacked out windows. <laughs> yep. He wears all black so that the color that he's he's wearing doesn't influence what he's seeing on the screen. His desktop is gray, you know, with a with a, a brightness color scale down the side so they can be cal you know, it's uh you could take it to the nth degree with this stuff. But my my question well, well, which yeah, I didn't get yeah. to ask him was if you don't want to be you know Bruce Wayne in the Batcave. How do you? How, what's what's a, an okay level? You know, uh, you know if I, I I would have a couple points related to this. And, you know, I mean, coming from the time I spent working on films, we obviously had a lot of issues with getting color calibrated monitors into the facility. And you know, we had guys that would basically start at one of the facility, calibrate them. This is back in the CRT days calibrate them you know over the course of many days and by the time we got to the other end of the facility he'd go back to the front of the facility and, and start calibrating again because they would drift uh, and at least lcd monitors tend to not drift as much but it's very true that you know you have this this surround effect that bright colors in your room can affect your perception and all of that but you know and to kind of take a step back from from the, the nuts and bolts of it and talk about the importance of it you certainly can use a less well-calibrated monitor, maybe even more importantly, a sort of a smaller color gamut monitor, and just sort of teach yourself mentally to make that mapping between what you see on the screen and what you get on the print. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take a while. I mean, you, you'll have to print a lot of stuff, but you can also sort of start to teach yourself, all right, I know that when I see such and such on the print that it's actually going to end up, such and such like this on the monitor is going to look like this on the print. Not to 100%. But there are certainly ways to do it if you don't have the luxury of buying a more expensive monitor. So I would I, say that you know, starting off, it probably makes sense for people to kind of kind of do that, unless they're doing a whole lot of printing, mm. and then kind of see. You know, are you running into situations where you just can't get to the understanding, and and you really need to have that last little bit of control? Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, I I totally agree in in the um, that you don't necessarily. I mean, I use these Azo monitors mainly because I I do a lot of printing. Exactly. But I I think that you you can certainly you don't need to have the top of the range to still get good prints. And I think one of one of the biggest things that um, I tried to get across in in my book was that printing um, shouldn't be something that stresses you out. <laughs> and I, I like, I mean, I've literally, I've printed uh, 38 prints over this last, uh, 13 by 19 prints over this last week for a new portfolio that I was putting together. And I, I, it took me, with the new soft proofing in Lightroom, it took me less than an hour, I think it was, to go through and, and soft proof them all. Oh, and then printing, just um, printing on my large printer behind me here, 
they just shot out the printer and I didn't have to reprint any of them because of color problems um, so once you've got things set up relatively well and I the, the biggest thing here is, is that you know I mean coming back to what you were saying earlier about the um, the the talk that you that you listened to mm -hmm. Frederick um, I I don't think you need to get that hung up on getting everything exactly the same. I mean, your monitor's only, still only one representation mm -hmm. of the image. And that, as, we, as we're saying just from talking here, different monitors give you a different representation anyway. Yeah, well, and, and that's actually a really excellent point that I would make, which is think about where you're going to be sending this stuff. If you're going to be sending, just posting this on the web and expecting people to look at it visually, there's, you know, calibrating it perfectly uh, according to some standard is may even be counterproductive because basically people are not going to see it in mm. that environment. Right. You, know, you may want to just at least you know have a setting on your monitor that's sort of your best guess for what 90% of the world has their monitor set to so you can calibrate to that and, and adjust to that. And, it, yeah. and there's mm. all kinds of problems with certain browsers like Safari supports color profiles, but at least for a mm. while there, Chrome didn't. I don't even know if the latest Chrome by, by default supports color profiles. you got all of those issues as well. Where mm. I, mm. I still get these things where I'll put images up and they look great on, on, on my monitor, but then you look at it on somebody else's and they're so washed out because it's not recognizing the color profile. Mm. So mm. unfortunately, it's not a that's the And that's a really yet. important point there, Ron, because I think you, know, when it, you have to consider where the final destination for your, your image is going to be, whether is it going to be Flickr, is it going to be 500 pics or otherwise online, or mm. is it going to be hanging in your living room under daylight, which is changing throughout the day, or are you going to hang it in another room that has you know, fluorescent bulbs that are going to light the, the print or, or what? You know, so where you're printing should influence how you're printing it. I don't know. I mean, where, yeah. where do you think, uh, uh, Martin, is it... Should people care to that minutia, or should they just calibrate to get okay? This is what this looks good out of my printer, and this is how I'm going to print every single time. I'm not going to care about where it's going. Well, as as an ex right colorati member, I should probably say, oh yes, you have to do all of that. <laughs> but I like I like to practice what I I like to preach what I practice, <laughs> nice. and and that is I just do everything in the same way. I don't try to make it look perfect under one light. Because a lot of the time, I don't know. I mean, I sell a fair amount of prints as well. And I don't know where the customer's going to hang them. So I'm not going to say to them, okay, so I'm going to send you a device. I need you to take a reading and tell me the, the, the settings from, your, from where you're going to hang the print. It's just not, you know, or like if you're printing for, for an exhibition, you could go in there and find out what the light in that room is Calibrate your monitors in that room, get a profile, and print for it. But it, it honestly, I think printing should be a lot more fun than that. I just yeah. like to print, and I like to just print to a certain standard that I like. And then if, I mean, and the other thing is, is that a lot of the time your eyes are much more adaptable than people realize as well. Mm -hmm. So even if you were to put the same print under three different lighting conditions, people aren't going to notice a huge difference. And I know that there are people that will be sitting, when they listen to this, saying, oh, no, you've got, to, you've got to be, you know, you've got to print for the certain places. If you want to go to that level of detail, there are benefits. I personally don't. I just like to print. I enjoy printing. I'm happy with the results, and I don't want to get too anal about it all. Yeah. Um, we're allowed to say anal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so here's, here's devil's advocate here. So... You know, I'm looking at that giant printer sitting behind you, Martin, which is, you know, ex yeah. I mean, the printer itself is reasonably expensive, but the ink and the paper and 
you know, the space. You're you're in a Japanese, you know, dwelling there, so it's taking up mm-hmm. a fair amount of space in your right. in your home, right? So right. why not just say, um, I'm not going to print from my house. I'm going to use White House or Bay Photo or whoever, one of these these big color labs, and calibrate to them, and I'll send them the file and let them print it and mail it back to me. Why not just take the printer? the the hardware printer out of the mix completely okay so the the first reason for that for me would be that i i enjoy printing i want to do my my own printing because i enjoy the process mm-hmm. and and if i can make that part of my business model then i'm i'm the happiest guy on the planet yeah you know but being being able to make money from doing something that you love it's like being a a, a guitarist in a band or something um so that's that's my my first answer um, but there, there are. I mean, uh, there are times when it makes more sense. If you if you don't like like I'm saying about don't get too hung up on the on the details. If you don't enjoy printing, or I mean, for me, money usually comes second, and it's not because money is no object or anything like that. I will make find a way to to fund doing the things that I want to do. So for me, in in my in my Japanese place, I, I rented somewhere large enough for me to have my own studio, hmm. which is a luxury, but it's part of my business. Right. Um, but if if you don't want to prioritize things in that way, you don't you find that you don't enjoy printing, then those services provide an excellent service. Yeah. So I mean, I I think that there's I, I certainly wouldn't say that there's a right or wrong. Um, I think it's just you know figure out how to do things the way you feel happy about doing them and and you could you could have a, a hybrid model where you enjoy printing and you'll you'll print quite a lot but you only want to print your own fine artwork or or things like that and say if you do weddings on the weekend and, and you have to create books obviously you can't create a book at home so outsource that outsource certain parts of your model and and you know keep the rest in house it it doesn't have to be one or the other i don't think yeah i agree if you want a martin bailey signature artisan print then you can do that on at home and sign it right. and all that magic but if it's you know there's a bunch of prints from a baseball game or something like that that you need hard right. copies off you can send those out what about you yeah. ron where do, where do you fall on that in house or out house out house i like that <laughs> um I I don't have a printer at home except for a laser printer, which obviously is not uh, not for doing color prints. I mean, I I don't print enough, and so yes, for me, putting it out to a quality photo lab is is the way I've chosen to go. The one thing I would say about that is uh, do test prints with those labs. You know, most labs mm-hmm. will let you do small. You don't care about the the resolution. You just care about the color balance, and you know, do do small test prints to those labs so you can get that worked out before you print something large and it comes back and you realize you just wasted a lot of money on something you're not happy with so um but you know if you do that if you get things calibrated and and, you know make sure you've not screwed anything up in that process and then send it out to somebody in a small version and see what you like then you can generally count on these labs to be very consistent that and then you can have anything else you want so i think it's really you know, it, it's a it's a question of whether you enjoy it uh, and and then it's also a question of sort of the cost there at some point buying uh, a large printer and dealing with all of that versus just sending it out there's an obvious trade off somewhere in there so 
Very cool. All right, guys. Um, I want to uh, give a quick, uh, actually introduce our our interview guest. His name is CJ Chilvers, and I had a chance to sit down with him and talk about minimalist photography. It's minimalist photography, and that's the idea of uh, doing more with less. So definitely check it out. This is the interview right now. I'm here with CJ Chilvers. He's a, a guy that came to me through the through the internet. Sent me a message, and uh, you know, suggested I read a uh, ebook that he put together, which I did. And like the ebook said, I found myself nodding in agreement <laughs> as I was reading through it. So he's agreed to come on and let me interview him and pick his brain about what he was thinking when he wrote this. And it's called "A Lesser Photographer." A manifesto. So, CJ, welcome to this week in photo. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're 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 completely welcome. Thank you for coming on. Okay, so first of all, let's get a little background on who you are. So, who is CJ Chilvers, um, and what what gives you the right to write an ebook? <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been a writer forever. I've written a, a whole bunch of books, but um, I've also been obsessed with photography since I was about twelve. And I've just, you know, had every kind of camera imaginable. I have a library of photography books and magazines, <laughs> yep. you know. And as I say in the manifesto, that would rival a, a university. Yeah. And I know because I went to my university's archive, and it was bigger than theirs. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm just I'm just another one of those uh, photographers out there who's obsessed and always looking for better ways to do things. Yeah. And before we get into that, so what, what do you think it is about photography that makes people get obsessed? Cause it's a photography or amateur photography or whatever. Photography in general is one of the largest and fastest growing hobbies in the United States today. Why, why is that? Why, why not stamp collecting or, you know, painting by numbers <laughs> or something like that? Well, I think it's a couple a couple of things. First of all, it's very addictive because it changes the way you see the world. And you know, I get that. You know, everybody who signs up for my newsletter on the site, I start a conversation with them, and uh, and that's you know, the people who've been only doing it for a year or two, that's what they always tell me. They they totally see the world in a completely different way. They see contrasts and lighting and you know, patterns that they never saw before they took up photography. So I think that's a very addictive element of it. But also it's just that, you know, pretty much everybody has a camera. So it's it's very easy to get into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another facet to that is, yeah, it it allows you to see things differently, like you just said. But for a lot of people, it's it's gear lust. Right. So it's like, well, I feel like it, it's it's gear lesson, as I, I used to say, or I still say it's an excuse, too, because it's like, you know what? I could be just like Scott Kelby if I only had that lens. But since I don't, I can't shoot as well as he does. Right. Right. And that's that's never changed ever since it became a, a hugely popular hobby, on a, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s the magazines were filled with that and now it's the blogs mm-hmm. but it, but it's always been the same it's treating every photographer as one size fits all and that size is professional you know you, you must shoot the way the professionals do you buy the professional gear you know and it it really homogenizes things yeah which is bad for an art form you don't want that yeah 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 it's really interesting where things are things are yeah, it's kind of a fork in the road or several forks in the road in terms of people that are 
like David Dushman that says, you know, they're all about the image and gear is secondary. Then there's the people that are all about the gear and the image is secondary. Then there's the community around it and people just like talking. And yeah, yeah. Photography is a, it's an interesting cat. So let's, let's talk about um, a lesser photographer, your, the manifesto you wrote. What do, so these these thoughts and I read it. It's, it's a wonderful read. I would suggest you know everyone downloading the the ebook. It's free, right? So yeah. what what was what was nipping at your 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 heels that made you <laughs> put these words down? Like why why did this come out of you? Well, it started as a blog about two years ago when uh, there was a lot of skepticism about this kind of thing. Uh, you know, minimalism in photography and focusing on uh, creativity instead of gear. Uh, and, and it's less so now. I think there's probably 50 blogs out there about the same thing now. Yeah. But two years ago, I, you know, I got a lot of pushback. And, and I just decided that I was going to sell off all my gear, all of my DSLRs, my medium format cameras, everything I had, and just buy one compact camera that was capable and see if my creativity alone could produce the same kind of stuff or better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then all the stuff that I had that I had to lug around everywhere. Why? So b- before you continue, why sell it? Why not just stick it in a closet or in storage somewhere? Because <laughs> that would be too easy. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is all about um, really, I, I call it rolling a boulder into the path of least resistance for your brain. <laughs> because awesome. cause your brain would just love to produce bland fluff all the time. Safe, easy, you know, the same thing you see in magazines just all the time. Yeah. And you really have to work to trick your brain into not doing that. Into being and, creative. And, right. right. And I'm not saying that's, it's the same for everybody. I'm not saying sell off your DSLR. For me, that's what it took. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that, that you say that because, uh, you know, and using magazines as as the benchmark for what real or what good photography is. I mean, not not to discount that, but it's it's one type of photography. And photographers are like, well, one day I want to be a real photographer. I want to shoot like that. Um, that may not that that they're pointing to may not be the vision that's inside of them that they want to shoot. Right. So what you're right. suggesting and, is exploring that. Right. Right. You know, in those magazines that, that feature the best photographers in the world showing off their best images, you know, they're they're not even doing a fraction as well as something like National Geographic, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, gets into a different area. It's all about telling a story. Yeah. Well, well, take me through the manifesto. What are what are some of the tenets? It's, it's almost like commandments, right? So what are some of the <laughs> commandments that are that are in there? And there's ten of them too. Right? Well, the first one is uh, that artists thrive on constraints, yeah. and that's kind of that's kind of the foundation of this. That you know you have to force yourself into being creative because your brain won't do it on its own. Yeah. And uh, you know the example I give in the manifesto is that. Uh, you take a look at the the first Star Wars when there was no money, uh, you know, and no resources, and it, it, they had to rely on creativity to get everything done. And then you look at, you know, uh, Episode One, uh-huh. where yeah. where they had all the money, all the resources. You know, those constraints really bring out your creativity. And, uh, you know, we do that in all kinds of different art forms, but we don't think of doing that in photography. And I, I don't know why. I think uh, we should at least try. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's, what's number two? Uh, go amateur. 
this is my reaction to go, going pro. Uh, <laughs> when I when I first started the blog, I think one of the the, pe- the first people who pushed back was Scott Bourne. Mm-hmm. And uh, on Twitter, he he told me, uh, you know, something along the lines of, you know, hey, give it up, you you get what you pay for. Yeah. And and uh, so you know, I just I had to push back on that, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't like this uh, idea that we all have to act like professionals, or you know, even aspire to be professionals. I think once you put that away, and f- you know, focus on the fact that. You know, even the professional photographers are having a really rough time right now. Yeah. That maybe the value of photography isn't in the photographs themselves. It's in your. It's just a tool, like writing is. And if you're selling something, you use that tool to help tell a story to sell something. But you don't sell the thing itself. Right. You know, I think, and people who rely on that will tell you that business is waning. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like you you don't say, "Wow, I want to I want to get the coolest hammer on the planet," right? It's I really would like to build a house. What hammer <laughs> do I need in order to build this house? You know? Right, right. And and it's and it's freeing once you come to that realization, you stop taking the pictures you think that other people want to see mm-hmm. and you start taking what's important to you. That's great. See, those are those are sage words right there. All right, what's what's number three? Uh, spend on images, not gear. Uh, and, and this just, you know, when I realized how much I had spent on gear, I kept thinking to myself, wow, you know, I could have taken a trip to, you know, God knows where and, and gotten much more interesting photos out of it with my iPhone mm-hmm. than, than this, you know, lens that I take out of my bag every once in a while. Yeah. That, uh, but, that is really good advice right there. When I read that, I was like, yeah, of course, because it's like, you know, people on this week in photo, we talk about gear a lot and, you know, sometimes too much. And, you know, people, I think a lot of people get into the mindset of, okay, I got to have these, all this stuff. And then I can need this cool bag and I need that strobe. Oh, Nikon just came out with this new speed light. I got to get that, you know, all this stuff. And then they have this beautiful bag of gear with new stuff in it sitting in the corner when, like you're saying, they could have used some of that money and gone to, Madagascar, you know, <laughs> right, right. got some really good spider monkey shots or something, right? Right. The, re- the return on your vest- investment should be seen in your image library yeah. or in just your ex- your life experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Wh- what's next? Um, tell a story. And uh, this one's been picked up by a lot of people. I see it on a lot of blogs. Um, but the, I take it a bit further in that, you know, photography is all about telling a story, but it shouldn't just be about the images themselves. And this gets back to the National Geographic. And while they're so much more popular than photography magazines that are all about how-to, mm-hmm. and even though they supposedly feature the best photography in the world, National Geographic still does better because they tell a story. And they don't limit it to just photos. They do, you know, video, words... I mean, it's it's all tied together. They're all just tools and telling a story. That's great. Yeah. So how do, how would you suggest photographers go about that? So if, for example, if you know if someone reads your ebook um, and they say, okay, yeah, I'm going to start incorporating storytelling into my photography. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm going on a photo walk tomorrow. You know, amateur right. photographer out in the middle of say San Jose or San Francisco, just walking around. How would they tell a story? rather than just taking pictures of random fire hydrants and light poles and things like that. 
Well, I mean, you have to get yourself into a story. Yeah. You know, um, one of one of my photography professors, um, I think I've told this story before, maybe on the blog or something, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I, I took this um, photo- color photography class in college, and I, I, I spotted this uh, this landmark in our town, which is just uh, had a beautiful array of colors on the outside, and the sun was shining on it directly. It was just it was a perfectly lit image, and I just took pictures from every angle of it. Went back into the dark room, spent a week on printing the perfect print from this. And when I got it back, I think he gave me a C. Hmm. And you know, I, I went up to him and I said, "What's wrong with this with with my print?" And he said, "Well, technically nothing, but you didn't go inside that building. You know, it was a bar." So he was like, "You should have gone inside that bar. You should have gotten some experience, some stories, brought it back. I guarantee you would have had better pictures and just a, a better overall story. I would have given you an A." That's great. And, you know, just, just to hammer that home, in, when, we, when we started that little conversation right there, we started with, yeah, go out and, and take stories instead of, or make stories instead of just taking pictures. And then you illustrated it by telling a story, which right. hammered it home. <laughs> so now instead of, we could have left it at that. Okay, yeah, make, you know, shoot stories when you go out and make some for a better image, you know, if you kind of string things together and then went on to the next thing. But now I think people, including me, will remember, wow, he, he, yeah, he should have went into that bar. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> the stories we as humans sort of we, we grew up on stories. I mean, from the caveman days, right? It was, it was everything is about the story. And our, I think our brains are wired to absorb stories more than than just random data that doesn't mean anything. Right. Right. And we're always telling bloggers you know, incorporate photography into your blog. You know, it's the best way you can enhance your blog. Or, you know, we're always telling them that, but we never reverse it. We we never say, you know, to the amateur photographers who have no real reason to put a portfolio section on their site, uh, we never tell them add words, you know? Yeah. 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 That's absolutely right. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, the whole thing is really interesting and it's a, it's not a new way to look at things. It's just a, from an amateur perspective, that's like, okay, I'm going to go out and I feel like taking pictures of, of bumblebees. You know, why not Why not start thinking in three dimensions? You know, instead of just taking a picture of a bumblebee, let's try to tell, the, tell a story about where the bumblebee is and use the bumblebee as an element, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's a hurdle down the road. Right now I'm trying to get people to stop taking pictures of flowers and waterfalls and <laughs> Fireworks. And bumblebees. <laughs> <laughs> well, bumblebees would be unusual. I I don't know. I'd like to see how you do that with a with an iPhone. That would uh, that's a that's a pretty good constraint, right if there. If you could get that, yeah, yes. And they're becoming extinct as well, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a double whammy. So what's ne- what's the what's the next tenant? Uh, you already know what to photograph, and, and this is another thing I saw in a lot of photography magazines was, uh, hey, why don't you try this being this kind of photographer, you know, or, or uh, be a wedding photographer because they, they're still earning money and, and they get the really good gear. And what I say is if you've been photographing for a while, you already know what you gravitate towards, what, you, what your natural inclination is. And it is, you'll never be as creative in another area as you are in that area because that's, that's what you care about. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So stay in your own backyard, right? Or not, not <laughs> literally. <laughs> Right. That there's all kinds of ways that you can constrain yourself and come up with incredibly creative ways to still photograph the thing that you love. Yeah. yeah. It's infinite, right? It's yeah. Right. It's infinite. Like like my I don't know who who a famous author said, I don't remember what his name, but and I'm sure I'll we'll get it in the comments, but it was um the quote was do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Right. So, right. yeah. So it's, it's same. You can translate into photography, right? So right. shoot, shoot what you love. And it's a lot easier than, than being forced into or trying to force yourself into the mold of something else. Right. You're, you're never going to have that, um, you know, the time and the patience to think of new and creative ways to do something in an area you don't care about. Yep. And number six here I'm looking at is, <clears throat> excuse me, don't improve on perfection. What do you mean by that? Uh, this, this one, uh, I think it, Instagram is really what started this in my head because, uh, you know, people would take these great pictures, but then they'd layer on all this crap yeah. and, and, and I would, I would say, you know, why don't, why don't if, if you're not capturing a beautiful scene as it is, um, well then that's the problem. It's not that you don't have these layers of goo on it. (laughs) You know, if you, if you're really capturing something great, you want that to be the picture and it should speak for itself. Yeah. Don't overpower it with seasoning, so to speak. Right. Right. And it's also, uh, another thing for the, for the amateurs who visit my site and they say, Hey, take a look at my photos. I know they're, they're, you know, not up to, you know, technical par and, but they're photos of their family and things like that. And I, I say they're perfect. I mean, you got you got the emotion you wanted out of that. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter that the white balance is a little off. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're capturing memories. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Number seven is the most important tool. What is that? Oh, this was a uh, this was like a, a long essay I put on my site. Uh, let me see what I boiled it down to for the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's uh oh, it's all about. Uh, and I know anybody who took a, a darkroom class uh, knows that the teacher said the garbage is the most important tool in the darkroom. Yeah. And uh, but you know I, I figured as a lesser photographer you got to take this a step further. You got to you got to stop going to the places that would cause you to visit the garbage in the dark, dark room. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. I love that. All right, number yeah, eight. So, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, you need to pre-edit. Is basically the the point of that. Don't and and that's where I put in that thing about the the fireworks and the waterfalls. There's so many articles about that online for a reason because everybody does it. So stop doing what everybody does. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's, independent thought is a wonderful thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's very rare. Yeah, yeah, I know. Rarer than than we might think. All right, uh, rule your own is number eight. Yeah, if you're going to tell a story with words and photos, um, you really should be doing it on your own, I think. I mean, I've, I've always loved Flickr, but there's so many corrupting elements of Flickr. I mean, first of all, you're, you're taking photos for other people, not for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not really telling a story. Uh, the, the metadata of your camera is listed there. So automatically, if you took the greatest, you know, you know landscape, ever taken the person will look at your metadata and say oh but it was with a compact camera mm-hmm. yeah. and not take it Pre-judge as seriously you. yeah right right and none of you know 
none of that has anything to do with telling a story. And I really think that, you know, roll your own. Yeah. Well, it also Whether depends on the audience. It, it, it depends on the audience too, right? So if it's a, right. if it's in a Flickr group, that's like, okay, this is all, you know, like it's a strobist Flickr group. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to want to know exactly and deconstruct the image. Cause that's what the, 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 you know, the group is about, but if you're like, you're saying you roll your own, maybe you have your own gallery that's powered by slideshow pro or something sitting on your website, then you control the experience. And it's, it becomes all about instantly it becomes all about the image because it's, this is CJ's work. This is his picture of a tree. And this is what he was thinking. Boom. Who cares how he captured it? Did he capture it with an iPhone or, you know, did he draw it, whatever, you know, it's, it's irrelevant. It's all about the image at that point. Right, right, and and it should it should be all about the way you want to present it and what your goals are as a photographer. You know, your goals are probably not to get the most comments on Flickr. Yeah, yeah. All right, number nine is near and dear to my heart. It's keep photography legal. What does that mean? Yeah, the, back when I wrote this, there were a, a lot more uh, crackdowns going on than right now, but it's still it's still pretty bad. I live in Illinois. Uh, near Chicago, and here, I think there was just a story yesterday where you can get up to 75 years in prison for taking pictures of the wrong people at the wrong time. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's it, that it's would worse. be a hard stretch of time to do explaining it's to people. Hey, dude, work. what are you in for? Uh, man, I'm I'm in for f5 at two fifties of a second. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that is in Illinois is because you know half of our last eight governors are you know. Had to be imprisoned yeah. for for being caught doing various things, usually on video or or something like that. And so that's why we have it so harsh here. But it's all around the country, all around the world. It's you know you're a terrorist if you have a camera. Yeah. And uh, no, we we can't do that. I mean, photography is speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it, and it's it's as we've talked about on this week in photo before. It's we think we have it bad here in other parts of the world. You know, you can, the, your, your, the rights, and I'm holding up quote fingers of the photographer are even more restricted, you know, but yeah. yeah it's, and it's, and it's not the opposite way around. I mean, they can watch you and record you all they want, mm-hmm. but you can't do it in reverse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're being watched every minute of every day, pretty much in most public places, especially if you're within like 90 miles of a government facility. So <laughs> you are being <laughs> watched, right? <laughs> that's, that's another Chicago thing. We think we have the most cameras in Chicago of any place in the U S and I think we're only topped by London and, uh, our mayor just okayed another 3000 cameras to go up. Jeez. Who's watching the watchers? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you know, sometimes they're just outsourcing the watchers. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, number ten is another. I'm a fan of this one as well. Be grateful, which is timely because we're recording this right after Thanksgiving. So what what is uh, <laughs> what does that mean other than the obvious? That that's the number one antidote, uh, antidote I found for gear lust. Is just, you know, being grateful that you have what you have. I mean, having any camera right now puts you ahead of a good part of the world, (laughs) you know, and uh, we have to we have to realize that that we that we have this this great technology and, and what you have in your hand is probably even if it's just your iPhone is so much more than even Ansel Adams had, you know, and if you can't do anything with that. Uh, why are you buying even more? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, like I was saying earlier, it becomes a placebo and it becomes in some cases an excuse not to shoot. Right. I would be, I'd be such a good photographer if I only had that new Canon, you know, but since I have last year's Canon, I'm, I suck. Right. It's a universal thing in any kind of, in any art form. I think as, as a writer, I know all kinds of writers who convince that they would be so much better if they had the perfect pen or, or you know, or the perfect app to write. <laughs> it, it's just uh, another way for your brain to try to, t- to do the safest, easiest, fluffiest thing instead of getting down to hard work and actually creating. Yeah. Yeah. The path of least resistance and creativity is to do nothing. Right. So, right. Yeah. All your brain's happy to do that because in art, there's no lack of criticism. Yeah. This is great. This is great. I, I, you know, again, I would suggest anyone listening to this to go, go download this and they can get it from your blog. It's at a lesser photographer.com. Correct. Yep. So what's the, let's talk and, about the blog. You can, also get it on, you can get it on Kindle if you want to. Oh, it's on Kindle too. Cool. Yeah. yeah and it's part of the lending thing. So you can lend it out for free. Very cool. So what's, what's the, let's talk about the blog a little bit before we, before we sign <laughs> off What what just get take me through the blog why'd you create it when'd you create it who's on it all that good stuff uh, i just created it to document that you know the experiment the whole experiment of getting rid of all my gear and just having a compact camera yeah. and then i started collecting the experiences of other photographers as this kind of movement started to grow and uh now even my biggest critics <laughs> in the beginning like scott Bourne, are blogging about the same thing mm-hmm. uh so so it was just a place to document everything and I'm thinking I'm taking it into a different place now and uh if you if you sign up for the newsletter that's where I really consider you know that's those are my best readers cuz you invite me into your <laughs> inbox and I yeah. take that very seriously and uh and I give them a little extra here and there but it's basically still coming up with ways to improve your creativity because whether you're an amateur or you're a pro the creativity is really what differentiates photographers. And it's probably the thing we spend the least amount of time on. Uh, so, so it's a good subject to, to cover. And, you know, the pros are really taking to this a lot more than the amateurs are, mm-hmm. which is something I find, you know, very curious. The people who are only photographing for a year or two, you know, they'll come to the site and say, well, I'm not really ready to give up my stuff. And then a pro will come on and say, I've already done it. <laughs> That's or i or i've gone back to film because i want to i want to see the world in black and white again yeah. you know it, it, the pros who survive are much more willing to experiment with creativity because uh, that's how they've survived yeah well what's what's next for cj uh I've more of this and more books very cool <laughs> very cool now, if uh, if people want to like keep up with you, of course they can go to lesserphotographer.com, But where else can they go to to follow you in online and your exploits and that sort of thing? <laughs> uh, CJChilvers.com has uh, I usually put up a link to all my current projects there. Very cool. Well, CJ, thank you so much for taking this time to uh, to chat with me and inspire me today. I'm going to go put all my gear on eBay. No, not right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for spreading the message. That's what it's all about. You know, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Twip has a has a pretty broad reach, and hopefully, a percentage of them will get a, you know, download this and and check it out. And I would highly suggest just pulling this ebook down and reading it. It's a quick read, and it's an inspirational read. It may may change the way that folks think about 
what they do when they go out to take pictures of those bumblebees or fire hydrants or that sort of thing. So, right, but, very quick read for for photographers who are visual thinkers. Yeah, yeah, very good. It's it's an ADD read. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> get in, get out, you're good, right? Yep. All right, CJ. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks. Okay, you can learn more about CJ by visiting his website, or you can find him on the usual social networking sites, which we'll link to in the show notes for this episode. All right, guys, real quick, it's time for the listener Q&A. This is the segment when our guests answer questions that have come in via our Facebook group, Twitter, or our Google Plus page. The first one, question one, is from Kate, and it's about indie filters. I want to throw it to you, Ron. You want to take this one? Uh, I'll take it. I actually don't use them hardly at all. I don't even know that I've carried one with me on any of my recent what's, stuff. What's an ND filter? Sorry, a neutral density filter is just basically a way to, of cutting down the amount of light that's coming into your camera. Uh, the, the one situation where I have, well, the one situation where I wish I had had one with me and I didn't, um, is if you're shooting in, you know, really bright daylight and you want to also control the uh, the speed you know you want to shoot say long exposure or something like that yeah you basically can't set your ISO low enough so that you can compensate for the speed that you want you'd, you'd still end up blowing out and that's really the situation you know if you're shooting a, a waterfall for instance or some water and you want that nice soft flowy kind of look so you want to you know open up and and shoot for maybe a few seconds worth but you know, you've got so much light in the scene that you're just going to blow out even if you set your ISO down to 100 or whatever your camera can do. Mm-hmm. That's the situation where you need an ND filter. And so my my personal feeling, not being somebody that uses that a whole lot, would be just get yourself some really intense ND filter, you know, something that cuts out a lot of light, and it'll move you into an exposure range where you can do that. And, then, and you have all the other issues of... You know, are you going to buy one for each different size of glass you've got so you can fit on the different lenses? You buy step-downs, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, or even just buy a larger square one and, and manually hold it up in front of there. So, yeah, I, but my suggestion would be start off with just one that's sort of for the lens that you use most often and is a pretty meaty one that can cut out several stops of light and see how it feels and then start figuring out where you ran into problems with it and, and what else you might need. Right. Right. Cool. What about you, Martin? Where, where do you fall on that uh, oh. neutral density? So she, her question was, I'm thinking to get some ND filters. I assume that I will get good or I will get good glass ones, but uh, as opposed to plastic, I guess. Um, yeah. But what range of densities should I begin with in my kit? What do you think about that? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of ways to go about this. I use NDs a lot, um, and in the I, snow, right? I, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the for for long exposures as well, uh, I I don't use them for shooting in the snow as much. I mean, I'll I'll generally at faster um, with the work we do up in Hokkaido, the faster the expo- the shutter speed, the better. But for long exposures, I'll use them a lot. And the the range, I when I first started getting ND filters, I bought ND twos, ND four, ND eights, and that that equates to one stop, two stops, and three stops of darkness basically. Yeah. Um, and I ended up, fi- I found that I started using the ND8, three-stop ND8, mm-hmm. more than anything else. I don't even take my, I mean, like Ron said, just get something really dark. So what I end up now, now um, what I would suggest is buy an ND8 and see if that's too dark or you need something lighter. But I actually use more than anything now. I use an X400, which is a nine-stop filter, um, and that is, 
that gives me I can go to to thirty seconds, whereas it would be you know a, a fraction of a second without it. And I I often even couple the ND the, the X four hundred with my ND eight, and that will give me two minutes of of uh, exposure for for really long exposure. So, the, but ND eight's a good place to start, and if you don't want to use the I mean I'm not sure what sort of work Kate does but if if she's not going to use the the ND on a really wide angle lens then the Singray Vary ND is good as well that goes from one or two stops up to nine stops or might might be 10 stops I think it's nine yeah and um, but just by twisting it <clears throat> excuse me it's expensive so, though right it's expensive. It's, and I mean, and very expensive. Like I can't remember, but what is it? Well over a hundred dollars. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. But but Kate's saying that she wants glass yeah. ones. I mean, one, also yeah. in, I I I have my my X four hundred is a Hoya, and I'm looking at B and H right now, and for some reason they're not telling me the price. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it wasn't cheap. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, I use uh, Kenko filters for, uh, for my uh, from my ND4s, ND8s. Um, but the yeah, the Singray is expensive. But if it replaces a number of filters, then it's right. it's right. it's good. Um, but the, the 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 problem with it with the Singray is that it doesn't work well with um, very wide angle lenses. I I can't use it with my 16 to 35 on the wide end, wide end. Because you get this re- this weird cross uh, across the screen, uh, right. across the frame. Yeah, it's it's um, a it's a polarized tricks what they're doing. You can do, you can kind of right. do the same thing by taking two polarizers and yeah. putting stacking them, and then as you rotate them between each other, when you get the sort of cross polarization, is the darkest, and and you can yeah. build yourself a little variable one that way. But the problem has always been with these: if you're shooting polarizers and you have a really wide lens. Then and you're shooting, you know, during the day that the sky will have different areas of polarization, and so you'll see a lot of weird stuff going on there mm. too. But hey, Ron, Ron, I know you have to take off in a second, so I want to be respectful of your time. You're doing some very important diplomatic work tonight. So, yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> so um, let's just jump on to the next thing here. Um, I want, Ron, I want to get your pick of the week before you slip away. What's your What's your pick of the week? Sure, it's just a real quick one, but I, I was playing with it the other day again. It's called Geotag. It's an iPhone app. And basically what it does is it sort of really simplifies the process of gathering GPS data and resyncing it back up with your photos. Um, just search for Geotag. It's, I don't know, I think it's a buck or two. Uh, and it just, you, know, you basically turn on your iPhone, start geotagging or geologging, and it'll keep track of it. And then it will deal with sort of all the other stuff of, Synchronizing it with your photos, and then you can put that into Lightroom or Aperture, and then it supports the the geotagging information. So it's pretty handy. Very cool. Cool. All right, and Martin, what is your pick of the week? I'm um, I'm gonna pick something as usual. It's not one of those little two dollar things. Uh, I I recently bought a Pina Zangaro, um, and I think I believe these guys are just down the road from you. Uh, a portfolio. A I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hold it up here for the sake of the video, but I actually um. And it's what be what Martin is holding up is something that looks like etched aluminum. It looks like something that it, uh, a exactly, James Bond that, villain might carry around. <laughs> so it's basically a it's a, a an aluminum portfolio case, but you can have laser etching. Um, I, I've had a logo and oh, a, a picture basically. 
laser etched into the into the face of the aluminum. So, oh, that's insane. Okay, I got yeah. one of those. So, so I mean, and they, these are beautiful. I've actually been hankering after one of these for a good, I think, at least five years. Um, and they, they're, they're a couple hundred dollars. They're not cheap, yeah. but they're very classy. I, I dropped a bunch of photos on Google Plus last night of them, of this with some photos in it. And I'm going to do a podcast about it next week on my own podcast. So for this, so, so uh, for this, this uh, episode, you'll need to, in the Google Plus post, stick some links to those photos in there. That'd be great. Sure. Yeah. But uh, P- Pina Zangaro, Z, it's P-I-N-A-Z. Uh, A-N-G-A-R-O dot com and they, they do some great aluminum um, and wood portfolio cases and books so check, check those out if you want to do that very cool thanks Martin and my pick real quick is a book that I just got in from the folks over at Peach Pit Press it's called Film is Not Dead uh, Film is Not Dead and the subtitle is it's a digital photographer's guide to shooting film and just some of the, I'm going to read, you know, most people when they go to the bookstore, they look at the table of contents. So in the table of contents for this book is the reasons, the rules, the cameras, the film, the exposing, the back end, personal projects, tutorials, and the resources. So the, uh, the, this is written by Jonathan Canlis and, and Kristen Kalp. Um, and all the photography is by Jonathan Canlis, but it's a hard, this thing is a hardcover book. It's beautifully made. It, it could sit on your coffee table, but I just liked it because it's a, the, it just dives into that area that we're always talking about. You know, we, we tend to stray on the side of digital photography all the time and forsake film, but there are lots of film photographers out there and it's, uh, it's not dead according to this book. So definitely check that out if you get a chance. All right. We're at the end guys. So where Martin, I'll throw it to you first. Where can people go to find out what you're working on and and see some of your work and all that good stuff? Uh, everything's linked to the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com. You can get to me from to, to anything. I mean, everything I'm into is up there. Martinbaileyphotography.com. Cool. And Ron Brinkman, where are you at online? Uh, on Twitter, it's just Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N, and I'm on Google Plus here. I'll actually probably toss up a couple of fun Hong Kong photos uh, on Google Plus in the next day or so. Yeah, do that. I would love to see and, those. Um, cool. Yeah, and a blog, digitalcomposting.com, but I haven't put anything on there lately. So Digital composting is uh, is composting. <laughs> yes, it is. Slowly. <laughs> Slowly composting. but surely. All right, guys. Thanks. And listeners, if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, just check out thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at mediabytes.com. It's the marketing school for creatives. And with that... It is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.